0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I was also thinking this this week what it would be like if you and I really saw what our future looked like. I mean, really saw our future. Because if you and I really saw our future, it might completely change what we do and why we do it and how we do it if we really saw our future. We might make different decisions, different priorities. We might have a different aim in our life. We might have different timing, reasons for what we do and why we do them if we could see our future. I really believe that's true. Um, In fact, there's a famous movie many of you guys may have seen. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. Has anybody seen that movie? Okay, it's a classic movie, you should see it if you haven't. And what happens in, in the movie is the, the main character uh, is, shown, is shown some details about his life. And because he is shown those details, it completely changes his future. Had he not been shown those details, his future would have been completely different. But since he was shown those details, his future is entirely different for him and for everybody around him. It's amazing how that worked out. There's the other classic uh, called A Christmas Carol. and I'm sure many of you guys have seen that one, right? The story of Scrooge, which we all know. But in that movie, an angel takes him and shows him his future. And by seeing his future, it completely changes the way he lives. Why he lives, how he lives, what he does. And it's just amazing. It completely changes choices and priorities. And I believe that if you and I got to see our future, it would likely change the priorities and the tempo and the reasons for the things we do. But oftentimes we do just what's right in front of us. And we look at the next thing and the next thing. And, you know, it's kind of the nature of of the natural person is to look at what's coming next and what's coming next rather than what is the big picture God. Um, You know, Samson in the Bible, his parents although they didn't follow through great with their son, they started out great. They say this prayer in the Bible, it is pretty profound, it's the only place I read this prayer. When they find out they're going to have a child who has a calling on their life, their prayer to God from the very beginning is, would you tell us what this child is made for? God, would you tell us what... What's supposed to be his walk and what's supposed to be his mission? God, would you, would you show us something about the future? Because God, if you do that, we're going to help and steer and aim him. And I know every one of you in this room, every one of us in this room, God has gifts and calling for us. All the days for your life were ordained before the first one came to being. We were made in Christ Jesus for these good works. We were created in him to be on display for His glory. There are profound things that He's got hardwired into your spiritual DNA and in mind, that if we could just see the future or get a glimpse, I really think it completely changes how we live, why we live, what we do, and everything else. And, And I would suggest to you that seeing the future changes our present. Changing our future changes everything. And today we're looking at a powerful passage in Scripture. If you have Matthew 24... But it's a powerful passage. In fact, it's probably one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible when it comes to the future. And the disciples of Jesus, before Jesus goes to the cross, they say, Jesus, we want to know three things. We want to know this great temple here that's amazing in Israel It's the focus of everything we do with worship. What's the story on that, the future on that? And what's the story on you coming back again, Jesus? And what's the sign of the end of the age? Can you tell us everything about the future? These main three questions. And Jesus addresses these all in one chapter. Now, there's many places in the Bible that has futuristic prophecy. Much of the prophecy in the Bible was, hey, God is saying this, turn and get your heart right. All through the history of the Old Testament prophets, it was oftentimes the message was, look, God loves you, he sees you, but listen, turn and get your heart right. Restore relationship with God But some of the prophecy is very futuristic. And there's other places in the Bible where it speaks of the future. In fact, Tom's Life Group is going through Daniel right now. And they're in an epic part. If you guys want to go deeper on this, I highly encourage you to come. You guys at Daniel chapter 9 right now? Pretty much? Okay. Perfect time to jump in. They're about to look at one of the most explosive passages in all prophecy in the Bible. And I encourage you guys to jump in on Sunday nights. But this passage here, Matthew chapter 24... Uh, there's a parallel passage to this in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, and it is so powerful because it is one concise area where Jesus just kind of rolls out the future all in one rolling passage. And so I know when I first started reading the Bible, how many of you guys did what I did and cheated and went to the end of the book first? Did anybody cheat and go to the end of the book first? Come on, honesty in God's house. Yeah, there's something like, I just want to know how this ends. Like, what does it look like at the end? Uh, I've done a lot of prison ministry. I used to go go into a lot of youth homes, facilities, where these kids are locked up or property of the state, so to speak. And I'd go in there to minister them, and I'd try to do Bible studies with them and stuff like that. And I'd say, what do you guys, what topic do you guys want to hear about? And they would say, revelations,
1: revelations.
0: I'm like, they, they don't know anything about it except for it's the future. So like me, they wanted to get to the end. They wanted to find out how it ends, how it wraps up. And as I started reading the Bible when I was a new believer, I came on Matthew 24, and I'm like, wow, here is one passage, many people misinterpret Revelation, there are many signs and symbols and uh, allegory, and there's so much symbolism, Uh, most would agree it's the most misinterpreted book of the Bible, because there's so many symbols, for a good reason. They all make sense, it's all teachable and understandable, but at face value, it can be very There can be a lack of understanding at face value. Matthew 24 just lays out a really simple sequence all in one chapter. Doesn't have all the minutiae and the detail, but it's got the big rocks. It's got the big rocks for you and I to see the future. And God wants us to see the future. God wants you to know your future. He wants you to know the future so you can be so secure in him. He loves you so much. He told you the future. The Bible is going to roll this out as a time where so many are going to go, what in the world's going on? And you and I are called by God to be having so much peace in our heart that we are unshakable over this stuff. We're like, yes, I know he already wrote this. He already told us. We've known this for 2000 years. There's nothing new about this. When other people are going to uh, be a little uh, confused or, or, or disturbed over the things that are to come, you and I are supposed to walk in the peace and the confidence of God and live for his glory. And I just think we are living in times, guys, where we're beginning to see the beginning of rollout of things. Listen, you and I need to be more prayerful and watchful now than, every, than ever before. Is anybody getting that sense? The time. Look, if you look at the clock, if you look at history, if you look at the timeline of humanity, uh, we've been getting around in horse and buggy and slow boats across the ocean for like a long time. And in this last century, we went like this. Amen? The Bible tells us one of the prophecies prophecies about the end is that people will go to and fro very quickly. You can't even make that in the whole history of humanity. You can't make that statement. But you can on our watch, can't you? As we're speaking right now, there are thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in airplanes up in the air flying around at 600 miles an hour above us in the atmosphere. This is on our watch. It also says wisdom and knowledge will vastly increase. You couldn't have said that over time as we're writing scrolls or slowly printing books. But now they say exponentially things are doubling like almost every year with internet and how much data and things we can put out there and download and absorb. There's an exponential burst. So there are things happening on our watch that are profoundly noteworthy. And I would encourage you guys to see, look at this through the lens of God, not through the flesh. The lens of God, you should, see, you should know that you were made for such a time as this. You could have been born in any generation in the history of humanity But God wanted you here right now. He wanted you here on this critical time, I think, when the world is waking up to things, when the timing is, I think, on God's prophetic calendar, pretty critical. And so we're going to be jumping into this. Quick recap before we get into Matthew 24 is um, Jesus had asked them three specific questions. Three questions. Uh, Excuse me. They asked Jesus, what about this temple? Because that's a big one. Jesus answered it last week. What he said is this temple, essentially because of prophecy that when they reject, when Israel rejects their Messiah, their temple and their city will be destroyed. Because the temple was just a vehicle to point people to God and then the Messiah came. And those who accepted the Messiah didn't need the temple because the Messiah did the final sacrifice. We don't need the sacrifice of animals anymore. Jesus did the final sacrifice for all mankind. But when Israel at large, not everybody, but Israel at large rejected the Messiah, Jesus said this temple is coming down. Just 35 years after Jesus said that in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Last week, we said the temple is central to the prophetic calendar. It was prophetic in the sense that the rejection of Messiah marked its destruction and the rebuilding of the temple will mark the end of the prophetic calendar incredibly quickly. So, you know, one of these things about prophecy in the future, keep your eye on Israel, keep your eye on Jerusalem, keep your eye on the temple. This is a central theme. But they asked two other questions. They say, and we're going to look at this one today, they said, "Uh, King Jesus, when are you coming back? What is the sign of your return? When will be the return of the king? That's what the Messiah is, the Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Son of David in the lineage of King David is is Jesus. And they're saying, King Jesus, when is your return? When are you coming back? That's what we're going to look at today. And then they also ask, what's the sign of the end, the end of the age? And we'll look at that next week. So we're going to unpack this a little bit. Last week, we looked at this one key verse, and I want to share this because I think it's important when we... Look at end times. Um, I've noticed this before. We, we taught a couple few years ago. We taught the book of Revelation. And we, we took about five months to go over the 20 chapters. I'll just tell you feedback wise. Some are like, oh, let's go deeper. This is amazing. The detail of the prophecy. And the, 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 it, Some are like an amaranth, And others are like, oh, my goodness. I don't really know if I have a space for this. How many of you do not, be honest, how many of you do not like to talk about the end times weird stuff, okay? Honestly, okay, okay. How many love to hear the details of prophecy? Okay, uh, half, a little, little more swayed, but some of you didn't answer, um, which maybe puts you in the first camp. Sometimes the detail can put a, a fear of the unknown in your heart, and I want to assure you that the Bible, specifically Thessalonians, talks about, don't be alarmed, be settled, this is, I want you to know what's to come. I want you to be sure. I want you to have peace about your future. Uh, and God's laying this out. And here's one thing it said you need to know. Uh, when, when you're looking at the future and you're looking at end times and you're looking at the way it's going to roll out and you're going to look at God's people, I would just say this. There's a simplified overview and I'm going to say the simplified, everyone say simplified. This is like the plane flying over version. Okay. And then there's the slower helicopter version where you kind of look at the ground really closely. And then you actually get boots on the ground and you walk through it all, right? You walk through the detail. This is the simplified version. The simplified version is that there will be a time of tribulation, the Bible says. Um, Tribulation is tough times, difficult times. But these times will be more difficult than what we've seen before. We see in in this future period, in this time of intense difficulty, intense difficulty, There will be what the Bible refers to as the rapture of the church. Everyone say rapture. It's where we're caught up, we're taken away from this world as we know it. Bible says that. And then, and then, the Bible will talk about the wrath of God. Everyone say wrath. wrath, That's where God's pouring out judgment and Revelation rolls it out that way. But the Bible says this, you and I will not be around for any wrath. Can I get an amen? That's what you need to know. This is what you need to know. You and I will not be around for any wrath. There's a lot of views. Is it pre-tribulation? Is it mid-tribulation? Is it, What will we have to endure? That's the glaring question for most people. As a Christian, as a Christ follower, what will we have to endure? And the big thing is this. Jesus said you will always have what? Tribulation. You will always have trouble. There will always be tribulations in life. The early church, you look at the way Jesus Died. you look at the apostles, you looked at many of the seasons of early Christianity, not all, but some were under intense persecution. Others were not. But the point is, even around the world today, if you know anybody who does missions in Middle East, for example, uh, there's an intensity over there. There's tribulation for believers even today in parts of the world. We're seeing that shift even in our own nation. Have you seen this a little bit? A little pressure against matters of faith and a little pushback that historically has not been there. So there's been times of trouble and tribulation all along, but this will be a great tribulation, Jesus says. And the point is, we know in this, in this process of tribulation, we know that before wrath happens, which is what's the alarming part of Revelation, really, when you read it, the church will not be there for wrath. And there are three different views about what point during the tribulation the church will be taken up. And there's great scholars and great minds and hearts on both sides that have plausible reasons for the views that they have. Um, but right now, I just want to look at what's in front of us. One key scripture is uh, 1 Thessalonians, I think we have it for the screen, 5, nine, and it says, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the wrath word is a key word because it's judgment, and that's a key word. How many of you know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? That's what you need to know about this end time. If there's one takeaway about the question mark in the future and, oh, no, what's going to go down, Uh, rather than worry about tough times, which the church has always had, we shouldn't focus on tough times. A prosperity gospel would suggest to you, you should never have a tough time. A prosperity gospel would say you always deserve good and blessing and never go through a trial, but we don't see that in church history. Everyone's got trials, ups and downs, and blessings and everything mixed together, but what we, what we see in coming is this, this, this time is not just a, a time of trial. There will be time of wrath and judgment, which we are not subject to. And can I get an amen to that one? Um, because uh, we're going to see that happen. So the question being asked today is, when is the return of the king? When are you coming back, King Jesus? And we're going to break this down in Matthew 24. We're going to look at it in sections. Uh, and let's just jump right in and see what Jesus has to say Uh, about our future here, because again, this future, I believe, changes how we live, why we live, what we do, and how we do it. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 4, and by the way, we're going through the book of Matthew, and this is simply where we're at today, and uh, we believe in teaching the full counsel of God's word and not just jumping out and leaving parts out. This is where we are today. (laughs) I don't know what you thought you came for, but God wants you to know your future today. Amen? Amen. God wants you to know your future, even if you think you don't want to know it or you're not comfortable knowing it. God wants you to know your future today. Verse four, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my ma- name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. I just want to start there because that's one thought and I want to unpack it. Um, he's saying, beware of deception. Uh, the future time, there's going to be a bunch of deception. The enemy's going to start having a heyday. And the way he does it historically is through deception. Uh, Isn't that how he came in the very garden, didn't he? Didn't he come to Eve and say, did God really say? Doesn't it look good? Doesn't it look shiny? Won't it make you wise? Won't it make you like God? Maybe that's why God doesn't want you to have it. Deception. Causing deception and he's spinning things and he's falsifying and counterfeiting. And that's what deception is all about. The enemy's done it from the beginning. He's gotten better at it over the years. We have to be mindful of it. But at the end time, before the return of the king, this deception is going to rise before the return of the king. These are some of the signs of Jesus' return. And uh, many are going to claim they're the Christ, the Messiah. Um, you know, we even see that in modern history. Some people get locked up and they'll, somebody will say they think they were the Christ. In fact, we had a, we had a good Friday service right here in the park. For any of you who were there, and somebody was yelling out saying they were the Christ. Does anybody remember that? Somebody thought he was a Christ, and obviously the guy was possessed. Um, literally, it was a demonic possession. It wasn't just crazy. It was like a, it was like a manifestation. And know what was interesting about it is when we got up there, surrounding the conversation of the cross on Good Friday, talking about what Jesus did, talking about pouring out his blood to pay for the sins of the universe, talking about the most powerful element the universe has ever seen. Jesus' blood, drop, drop, taking away billions of sins, billions, billions, right? This is like the center of the God. And right when we start doing that, this guy starts manifesting, saying, I am Jesus. I am the Christ. And and so I only bring that up because in the latter times, there will be more and more people claiming to be uh, the Christ, uh, to be the Messiah. And this is saying, listen, that's the enemy's plan to confuse you. And if you, here's the thing, guys, with all of this that's about to be shared today, if you don't know your word, you won't know if this is true or not. If, if you don't know your word, you will not know if this stuff is even true or not. You will go, well, maybe it is the Messiah. I mean, how are we supposed to know? It could be. And this passage, you know, he's over here. He's, well, maybe, come on, guys, I think it could be. It sounds plausible, right? The Christ is there. Sounds good, right? Christ is over there. Let's go, right? He's out in the desert. And so people are going to go, well, maybe he is, guys. If you don't know your word, you won't know truth, and you will be deceived. And that's why you have to know, guys. You have to know now more than ever in your life. you got to know the word of God to discern, and you got to know the spirit of God to lead and to guide in the things of God. How many of you know the spirit of God wrote the book, Right? All scripture, spirit breathe. So as the Spirit leads us, and we're supposed to be those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit are daughters of God. We need to be led by the Spirit. So if we're gonna be led by the Spirit, we gotta know the word. And if we're people of the word and the Spirit, whatever comes, we're gonna be in a sweet spot, amen? We're gonna be in a good zone. We're gonna see stuff a mile away and go, nope, that's not God. Nope, 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 nope. But that is... That is right there, but that stuff isn't. We're going to know so clear, but others aren't going to know that. I don't know. Maybe could be. Maybe it is. Let's check it out. And so this is what it's talking about at the end time. That's important because the devil, it says, will deceive many. Uh, and, and the many that he deceives are people who do not know the word in the spirit. Amen? Because if you do, you won't be deceived. So that's really the key. Um, so many will be deceived except for those who know their word, except for those who know the ways of the Holy Spirit because those who do will be able to test the spirits as the Bible says test the spirits you and I when spiritual things happen we're supposed to be able to go now is that God or not God and there's a way if you're in the word and you're sensitive to the spirit you will truly test that is not God and here's why or that is and here's why and that's going to be critical especially in a time of massive deception so that is to come And what it will look like, we don't know the shape and the form of all of that deception, but the point is, it will be deception. If you're in the Word and Spirit, you'll read it from a mile away. Uh, Verse 6 moves on to what the next portion looks like, and it says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So these latter days are marked by wars and famines and earthquakes. Uh, wars seems to suggest the way it's written, more of a global sense. Uh, you know, what's interesting in the history of humanity, we haven't had global wars really, except for global, uh, World War I and World War II, uh, which were all in this last century, uh, before that, it was this empire conquering the weak empire over here, and then they take over another empire. And you know, you might have the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Mongolian Empire. You had. A nation kind of one by one taking a little piece. But it wasn't a global thing. This is suggesting, uh, like we had in a World War I and a World War II, this could propose a World War III scenario where it looks something like that. And wars are likely followed by famines because it's a completely disruption of order and transportation and food and that nature. So there's going to be wars and famines and earthquakes, which in many areas, there's a natural, there's an increase in earthquakes in certain areas. Right now, in certain areas of the country, they're marked, uh, you know, exponentially higher for some reason, uh, earthquakes, and uh, that, and how many of you guys felt a powerful one last week, right? Yeah, that was surprising, you know, and that was felt, you know, like a couple hundred miles away, people felt that, but the point is, uh, the earth is on a timeline, guys. Uh, it says in Romans uh, chapter 8, it says that the, the earth groans in anticipation, Two thousand years ago, the scripture: the earth actually groans. You know how your stomach turns and gro- when you're really hungry; it just kind of moves, a little, like kind of moves around. Like the earth groans in anticipation. So the timeline of the earth was not designed to live forever, last forever. It's on a timeline. There's a groaning, and some of these things are in place. Um, the Bible says as an indication of the end. But Jesus said, "This isn't the end. These are just the beginnings of birth pains." Um, it's not delivery time, per se, as a woman having a child. It's simply uh, the birth pains. And so, ladies, uh, any of you in the room who have had a child, you know what these birth pains are. Not the birth pains. The beginning part is, is all about. I haven't experienced them personally, uh, but my wife has with our five, childs, five, five children. And I remember uh, the early signs. The early signs are these things called Braxton Hicks, right? Isn't that what it's called? Where, where there's like there's like a convulsing and a this, like almost like, oh no, for for a first time mom, you're like, oh my goodness, I think I'm having the baby. And a a more uh, experienced mom would say, oh no, that's just the Braxton Hick. That's the beginning of birth pains, but it's not delivery time yet. And so there's this this process of getting ready, but it's not actually time. And Jesus says that these symbols and these signs uh, are indications of of getting ready for what's to come next. And then he moves on in, in verse 9 and he says this. Then, which is, seems chronological when you read this story. He says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Because of me, Jesus says. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And listen, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, boom, then the end will come. So here's a really brief, concise chronology without getting into everything Thessalonians says this week or Daniel says this week or Revelation says this week. Let's just look at the face value of what Jesus gives us right here that we do know from this passage. We know that the latter times, it says, after wars, there's going to be many false prophets and they will deceive many. But again, they will not deceive those who know their word. Amen? The earth is passing, the grass fades, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Listen, if you know your word, it is the timeless truth of God. It is the firm foundation that doesn't shake and go away. If you're sensitive to the spirit, and we need to be more than ever, uh, we are a community that does ministry through the word and the spirit. We believe in every part of the present day ministry of the Holy Spirit today, and that will always be connected to his promises and his word. Amen? And so this is the sweet spot, the zone. If you're in the zone... You're not going to be deceived with a Christ here or a Christ there. You're not going to be deceived by false prophecy because this is going to happen to many. You're going to go, that's not God. How do you know? Because the Lord has shown me how to test the spirits. Well, how do you test the spirits? Well, you can tell what's the spirit from God because God won't contradict himself. And God says this, and this is a deception, this is, this is not a truth, this is an alternative view that's not rooted in the nature of God and what he's already told us. And so we could see things from a mile away, and just like they teach uh, bankers, uh, when they're teaching tellers at the bank, um, one of the first things they have to teach them is to look for counterfeits, and the way they teach them to find counterfeits is they do not give them counterfeit bills. They don't give them any counterfeit bills, they only give them real bills. And when you're holding real bills all day long, the second you pick up a counterfeit, you know right away. That's garbage. That's fake right there. You know right away. When you handle the real thing, you know the fake one the second you touch it or see it. That's why they don't give them fakes to handle and stuff. It'll confuse them. If you and I handle the word of God, amen, if we handle the word and the spirit the way we're called to, the way we're supposed to as sons and daughters that walk in, the sensitivity of the Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit, are sons and daughters of God. If we're walking this way and we're handling our life that way and we're staying in step with the Holy Spirit, when we see something fake, we're like, that's fake. That's counterfeit. That ain't the real thing. I'm rejecting it right out of the gate. That isn't for me. It's not for us. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And that's counterfeit. We need to start seeing this stuff from a mile away, guys. And so there will be more deception in these end times and it says there'll be false prophets And false prophets are simply somebody saying, this is what God wants, this is good for you, this is your future, this is the way. That's what the prophets were supposed to do. But these ones will be deceptive in their intention. Um, And then it says, after the the wars, it talks about this shift of an agreed, almost an alignment of nations. It doesn't say it in this passage, but we see it in other passages. And I don't want to read too much into all the other parts of the Bible into this right here, but we do know uh, it seems to be after these wars, There's an agreed consensus now, and it's going to be against Christ. So in this agreed consensus, we can read by just the the nature of the passage and what we see elsewhere, there will be a a new world order or a one world government, and it will be promising peace we see from Scripture, Uh, but they will have no place for faith in Jesus. They will have no place for Jesus. In fact, they said, um, this is going to happen. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. Not because the idea of religion, not because the general idea of God or believing in a God. That's not how people will be hated. It will be, King Jesus says, he says, because of me, because of Jesus. And Jesus is distinct. He's the way, the truth, of the life. Jesus, to some, is polarizing because he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And others go, well, there's many roads, and we're all different roads, and we're all different. But, but all the, their versions of truth are all these alternative versions that don't even line up with the creator, his nature, his plan, his design. They're all these random different stories, and so they're not authored by the same creator. They cannot be authored by the same creator because they don't even have the same version of truth in them. And Jesus comes and says, this is truth, I am truth, I'm truth walking with you, and I'm giving you truth so you're equipped, you'll have everything you need for life and godliness, you have truth. And so he does this, but he says, in this time right here, this future period, um, there'll be no place for faith in Jesus, in fact, it'll be illegal. This sounds like a global view an agreed consensus after wars. That's why we see the one world. There's an agreed that faith in Christ will be illegal. And under pressure of persecution, just like in some Islamic nations, faith in Christ is illegal in some Islamic nations. So this idea shouldn't be so foreign to us, like how could that be? Uh, You know, some of the early church faith in Jesus was illegal and people were thrown to lions. This shouldn't be something like, well, I don't understand. This is something, there's been this uh, persecution against believers at varying levels over the years in different times and places, but this will be something, there'll be a global consensus making faith in Christ Jesus illegal. And under pressure of persecution, it says many will turn away from the faith. Um, And and you can see the pressure in people's heart and mind going, well, wait a second, if I say this, then that, but if I say this, then that. And so this is what's going to be a real shaking out for those who are around at this time, whether it's our generation or after generations, you know, it's, it's hard to say where we're at exactly in a prophetic timeline because Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour, but we're going to see next week that we should understand the seasons. And when, as you and I look at the seasons, you and I will better understand, oh, wow, it seems like we're in this season of the process. And it's important for you to know uh, the seasons and understand what God says about your, about your seasons. But um, this time there's going to be a persecution, and under that, pres- uh, that that pressure, there's going to be many who turn away from the faith. They're going to do like what Peter did. Aren't you? Um, aren't you with Jesus? I think you're with Jesus. Aren't- nah, not me. Are you sure? I, I think you. No, no, I'm not with him. Wait a minute. I think you. Are- no, and he's pretty much saying in in the. Greek context, he's saying like, I swear I don't know the guy. That's what he's saying. And later on with this remorse and later getting restored with Jesus. But at this time, there's going to be this pressure. And some are going to go, I don't know him. And they're going to abandon the faith over the pressure of persecution. It says many will turn away. Because of that, Christ followers will be arrested, persecuted, and martyred for their faith. I got a question for you this morning. In fact, I got two questions for you this morning. Don't know where we're at in the prophetic timeline exactly. There are many different views and interpretations of that. We will all explore this more deeply next week as we look at seasons. But under the threat of extreme persecution, I want to ask you this question in the privacy of your own heart. Under the threat of extreme persecution, would you stand strong for Christ or would you bow out? That's what you need to know. Because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father and angels in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny, Jesus' Jesus words, I'll deny you before the angels and fathers in heaven. Because I need to say that because a lot of times we have a soft, soft version of a gospel. Just say this prayer. Don't really change. Just say this prayer and everything's golden. And we didn't see Jesus going through towns. Guys, go back to whatever you're doing just say this prayer and walk but we do that sometimes in America or western you know christianity and it's the prayer if you mean it is we're making Jesus lord that means he's the king and that means we turn and we start to follow him and if we follow him we don't deny him i say that because if things get intense some of you in the room you might have a problem right now taking ownership for your faith and i want to encourage you, you know, i believe the lord is calling you to this if you have a fear or a doubt or a, a timidity in owning your faith now, how will we own faith in times of persecution? Amen, does that make sense? And this is where you need to say to God, you need to say, Lord, I need your power and strength because I am shy, I am timid, and I am maybe fearful. And if that's okay, if that's you, that's okay, say it. That's why he gives more of his Holy Spirit. The Bible says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The words of Jesus, how much more, how much more, how much more. And on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the spirit for boldness. And yet we see two years later, the same group of people saying, God, would you fill us again with your spirit? So we have the boldness again, God, it's getting tough out there, Lord. And God's like, sure, I'll fill you again. And they got filled again and keep getting filled with the spirit and stay filled with the spirit. So you and I have the boldness to not shrink back. Amen. If we can't stand now, we won't stand in times of persecution. Right now, things are very soft when it comes to uh, what's to come compared to now. So if you have a fear and timidity, at the end of our service, our prayer team is going to come up here uh, soon. And, and in fact, maybe our prayer team can come up here now because we're going to be wrapping up in a second here. But if this is an area where you have a little fear and timidity, I know I did, um, I wasn't going to share my faith out loud. My faith was very personal and private to me, and I wasn't sharing it with anybody. And that's the early journey uh, of my walk with God. But something happened when the Bible promises the Holy Spirit to those who ask to give us the confidence and the boldness and to represent, which we cannot do in our own strength. I said, Lord, if you're saying that, yes, I want that. And I did, and I prayed for that. And the Spirit of God came upon me and gave me a power and a capacity not my own. I can't pull this off on my own. I don't have the substance in me. I don't have the natural fortitude in my DNA to do what I have done or what I do, but the Spirit of God will give it to you, and that's what he's been doing for 2,000 years, is using the least likely, amen, to testify for him, to speak up, to show up, to stand up, to speak up. And so, um, in this passage, uh, I'm just seeing a glaring reality today that if we can't navigate boldness now, how will we do it then? So that question this morning is under threat of extreme persecution. Would you stand strong or not? If you wouldn't, you know you need more of God's spirit in you because you can't do it on your own. It is not by strength or by might. It is by the power of my spirit, says the Lord. And that is true for all of us. We can't pull it off without the spirit of God to empower us. Uh, And the other question is this, guys, is if they came to prosecute you, if they came to prosecute you and build a case against you for being a Christ-follower, for being a Christian, if they came to prosecute you and build a case against you, would they have enough evidence to do it? Would they have enough evidence to do it? They're building a case. They're trying to come up with facts. They're trying to come up with proof against you. Would they have enough evidence? They might go, nah, I don't see anything here. He just does the same thing everybody else does. There's nothing distinct about this guy. Move on. Let's get somebody else in here. Uh, Or would they go, no, no, this guy, we know they pray the word. We know they're part of fellowship. They're in the family. They've been doing what the historic Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. They're not forsaking the gathering. They're in the word. They're in prayer they're serving, and they call him Lord, they call him king, and they act like they have a king and a Lord, he's one of them, she's one of them. If they were to prosecute you, if they were to prosecute me, would they have enough evidence on us to be prosecuted? I bring up that because that's what these times will look like. And I hope we're not like blending in with the world like a chameleon, like I'm not here, don't see me Um, in these times. Hopefully it's like, hey, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I am, I've stepped over the line. I'm a disciple of His. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am through and done now with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, dwarfed goals, cheap giving. No, I will not shut up until I stay up and pray up and preach up. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Will that be us, family? Because that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. And so if we're not there, say, God, give me the power. Stir that up in me. I'm not feeling that right now, but I want that. That's okay. This isn't like a shame or a guilt or a condemnation. This is just be fully who you're called to be. This is see the future so you can walk in the fullness of his power and purpose in the present. There are many that are sleeping. And Thessalonians is saying about the end times, don't be like those who are asleep. Be prayerful and watchful and alert. Family, now more than ever, be prayerful, watchful, and alert. Don't be checked out and sleeping. This is not a time to be sedated. This is time to be alert in the things of the Spirit. And so we can't, you know, get sedated and be alert at the same time. So this is really important. But um, anyway, this, this concludes really quick if the worship team comes up. The last thing is it says is there'll be a, an increase of wickedness. And I just want to say this. The wickedness, guys, is not what everyone has an opinion of wickedness is. This is what God says is wicked. You realize if God says it's good, it's good? If God says it's wicked, it's wicked? I mean, yes or no? If God says it's good, it's good, yes? If God says it's wicked, it's wicked, right? See, this is the thing. We're, well, I don't know. God says, I don't care what God says. I kind of feel. It doesn't matter. The Bible says in this time there'll be wickedness. In other words, it'll be a society that completely walks away from the morality that God calls a society to, uh, and it'll be so far removed from that and it'll be a desensitized generation almost like when you're working with bricks or wood all the time you get calluses calluses on your hand you can't feel anymore you can't you, you can't you're not sensitive anymore and it seems like the the generation at this time will lose its sensitivity it says the love of most will go cold it'll be like a loveless generation just surviving and getting through but not just the decency of humanity to look at people and go come on we got to love our neighbor guys what are you thinking Loving God and loving our neighbors—what it's all about—and there will be a love will grow cold away from God and away from others. And the promise is this, and this one shocks some people's theology; it rocks some people's theology. But it says this, and I'm, I just want to teach the passage, not everything in the Bible today. It says, "Those who stand firm to the end will be saved." That when you go through this, if you are around for it, if you or your kids or your grandkids or your great grandkids—God knows the prophetic timeline—but be prayerful and watchful, but those who stand strong, in other words, I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up, I don't care what comes, I am keeping my eyes on the prize and I'm walking faithfully with Christ. No matter what happens, those who stand firm to the end will be saved. So I want to encourage you this morning as we close in prayer. Matter of fact, maybe you can just stand up with me and we'll ask God to seal some things in our hearts this morning. Uh, Maybe we can just, rather than just believe, rather than just believe, Uh, we can actually take a stand for Christ. Rather than just believe, we will stand for Him because it is standing for Him that He's talking about. Those who waffle and won't stand and those who will stand. That's the glaring reality of this passage. No matter what's to come, uh, we may not know all the details of our future, but we know the one who holds our future, amen? Amen. We know the one who holds our future. That's what you need to know. Pastor, I don't know all about my future, and I don't know all the details. I don't even know if I got the headspace for all the details. Well, that's okay. You know who holds your future, and you know you're in the palm of his hands, and you will know that in Christ, you are under the shadow of his wing, and you will know that no weapon formed against you will prosper because it's not who you are. It is whose you are, and if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and that's the beauty of it. Amen? Yes, yes, yes. So, Lord, we just come before you this morning, God. We declare that we are in your hands, and if we're not under the shadow of your wing this morning, if we're not in your hands, Lord, we don't get there by accident. We get there by saying, I want to be under the shadow of your wing. I want to be in your hands. I want to. That's all for your son, Jesus, Lord. So, This morning, if there's any who have not made that commitment, we just say in the privacy of our own heart, Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I turn and follow you. I believe you rose from a grave. Help me walk with you. Put your spirit in me, God. Give me a holy boldness and a freshness. Show me how to walk with you, God. And and Lord, I will. From this day forward, I will. And anyone who says that, you are under the shadow of his wing. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Your hope is secure and your future is written. Uh, from this day forward. And God, for all of us, I pray for a boldness in your spirit, God. I pray we would not just believe, but we would stand for you because we are part of the fellowship of the unashamed. God, give us your Holy Spirit power, God. We love you. We need you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you that we know our future. Let us live like people who know our future. Let us change our life, our tempo, our decisions, our purpose because of this glorious future God, that we have eternity. Life is very, very short. And eternity is really, really long. And God, let us live looking to you, the author and perfecter of this faith. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen, guys. Praise the Lord. Hey. uh... This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.